Welcome to Controversial Conversations, everyone. I'm Kelly Cavallero. And I'm John Robinson, also known as Mr. Showcase. And a uh, little new way we're going to record this podcast. We're actually recording video and audio, so we can put some stuff up. Video clips, that way you can actually see our lovely faces. Because um, we think today's topic, and uh, we're probably going to warn you now, it's probably going to end up being a two-parter for those listening online. And uh, what is a professional? What makes somebody a professional line dancer? What professional choreographer, professional instructor, because um, I think all those are probably going to end up being different views, and as John's already given me looks, <laughs> uh, and funny thing is, John looked up the definition of what a professional is. Yeah, so according to the dictionary, <laughs> a pres- professional is someone who is skilled and competent in whatever profession it is. Um, so that's the technical definition. So I think we need to talk about like what what does that mean? What does what for line dancing specifically? What does it mean to be skilled and competent? What does that include? But also, who determines that? Mm. Yes, good point. <laughs> and then are we talking because there's many aspects of this, right, Kelly? There's, yes, we can talk about um, like you said, as far as dancers go, just social dancers, um, instructors. You have. Local instructors, you have traveling instructors, you have bar instructors, you have instructors of all different calibers and different venues. Uh, and then you have the people that are choreographing. Uh, are they skillful? Are they competent or not? <laughs> what makes what contributes to that? And then well, you have, uh, I think, also what I would call the entertainers. So the people that we consider in our industry, the ones that are traveling constantly and, you know, in front of the audiences at the big conventions and the workshops and all that kind of stuff. All right. I'm going to start off with two things right (laughs) off the rip because I I got two arguments right off the rip. (laughs) What makes, but what makes the entertainer more professional than the person who doesn't travel? And that's what we should discuss. Because Because I don't think... I'm going to be quite frank to be fair. There isn't because you're still making your, because 99% of the world in our industry relates pro versus amateur with one thing and one thing only. Are you getting paid to do it? Mm, Are you getting paid to do it? Right. So is that actually a determination of what makes you professional? I mean, tech, if you look in the dictionary, again, it says somebody who's hired to do that, you know, it's being paid that, that, that's part of the definition of being a professional, according to the dictionary. Yeah, but okay. So, but a computer programmer, an entry-level computer programmer, is still getting paid. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> but that's my point because just because you're that being, doesn't make them right, the top. Exactly. Tier, like, and that, I'm glad. But I'm glad Steve you, Jobs is Steve Jobs is never going to be. Yeah, I'm glad you actually said that, that because just because that's the point exactly. Just because you're getting paid doesn't mean necessarily that you're skillful and competent because. We all have to start out as amateurs. I think we all agree on that. No matter what skill you're trying to uh, become good at, you start off as an amateur because you don't know how to do it yet, right? You may be at the level, an entry level. But hold on. Technically, no. Because technically, no. Because let's, let's take it from the perspective that a lot of people are thinking. You start off as a dancer. You've trained for a dancer. You're paying a dancer. And then you get paid maybe to become an instructor. Mm. Okay, you're, in a, you're a dancer. You get paid to be an instructor, not a choreographer. You're right. getting paid to come teach people how to dance. Right. But you're now a professional instructor. <laughs> but Does are that, you? <laughs> Have you from, ever taught from, before? But from, 
from an argumentative standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I know. I you know are. What yes. But, so then, two, three years down the line, or two days down the line, whoever you are in this, this situation, you decide to dip your foot into choreography. Mm. Now, the reason you can do that is because you are now being, you're currently being paid to be an instructor. Right. So... so <laughs> But that's, that's the issue that we face here is because, you know, um, just because I'll just give you a specific example. Mm -hmm. I just did a mini tour up in the Northeast. Yep. And one of the stops, the person that is now the instructor yep. has not just been an instructor. We just talked right? about this. Yep. So mm -hmm. she kind of inherited the class because she takes all the, and I've talked to actually many people recently, quite a few um, that pop into my head right now of people who same situation. They come to class every week. They know all the dances. So suddenly their instructor moved or they retired or they, the, the person who ran the class went away and they needed someone to take over. And because that person was always there or because they, you know, they like to dance a lot, they sort of had that responsibly thrown upon them. That doesn't mean now that they're, they're actually teaching the class and being hopefully paid to do it, doesn't make them automatically a professional instructor because there are skills and um, abilities and techniques that you need to know and implement and practice to become a good instructor, right? Which any person who's a teacher will tell you that. You, it, it's, it's, um, we can all get thrown into a situation where we have to teach something. So for example, yeah. Kelly, if you were to be asked to teach, let's say, podcasting, okay. or, or better yet, flying a drone, Right. Okay. Because you do that. Yeah. So you could probably teach people to fly. You could handle that, right? right. But somebody who just bought a drone yesterday off of Amazon and got one in the mail and decided to play with it, if they, I'm saying, if they've had no background in it, is probably not going to be able to do that as well as you could because you have more experience. Right. So the experience but plays into it. But that's not what we're. That's not. It's not really the same thing, because they haven't. Because I'm now teaching something I've been doing. Right. They're now teaching something they've been doing. Different thing. You're not asking someone who just walked off the street and never line danced before. Right. Teaching a line dance to that, teach a line dance class. Does that make you a professional instructor immediately? Is my, is my question. By the definition of professional from your dictionary, yes. <laughs> you're getting paid. <laughs> well, no, because but, you're, but, you're doing something that you're confident in and assured. Yeah. But are you skillful at it? That's yeah. the question. Yes. You're skillful at line dancing. You, but you've said this to me. You've said this to me many times. Just because you're a good dancer does not automatically make you a you're good dancer. Absolutely. Hold on. You're absolutely right. But <laughs> the issue with this is just because it makes you good at something doesn't mean you shouldn't be classified as a professional. Look at the look, let's let's take a sports analogy here. Mm. There's 32 major league baseball teams. The last place team that really is horrible can barely win a game. They're considered still considered <laughs> professional major league baseball players, even though they suck. Even though they cut and because they get paid to do it. Mm. They get, they're on a major right, league team. Right. They get paid to do their job. Got it. So, that, so, it, so we by have that to... definition, yes, I yeah, get the whole, just because yeah. you're good at something, just because you're a good dancer doesn't make you a good choreographer right. and vice versa. So we have to differentiate levels of professionalism? <laughs> well, no, that's, no, we're not even getting into that. But, okay, so let me, let me give you this example. You just took someone who had never taught before. Let's give you the example. The USLBCC um, is an amateur choreography competition. They define amateur in their definition of what an amateur is, is someone who has not gotten paid or does not get paid to teach their original choreography at a workshop or an event. Mm -hmm. 
Now, why does it have to be their choreography? Right. Because let's, I'll, my, my, I'll use this. I'll use Trevor Thornton as the example. Yeah. Trevor entered the competition year one, won the whole thing. Mind you, at that time, Trevor was teaching two, three, sometimes four nights a week, making, I would safe to say, way more money than a lot of instructors are getting paid on the circuit to teach for four nights. Now, by the rules, because he teaches to 200, 100 per- people a night at his local bar, that he is not on the same level of someone who's getting paid to go teach to a 50-person event out of state. How is that? Right. How is that any different? Like the UCWDC yeah. used to have, have the rule, and I don't know it's how that certain the amount 50%, of fifty percent of more than fifty yeah, percent of your income, because by that definition, because I know by I know some people who wanted that to be the rule in the USLDTC. By that definition, you know how many people? The only people that I know of that would be barred from that competition are you, Scott Blevins. <laughs> Joe Thompson Samansky, <laughs> right. and at the time, Rachel, because she was still a realtor. But Will Craig had a full-time job. Jamie Marshall has a full-time job. Amy Glass Bailey has a full-time job. At the time, she was Amy Glass. All these people had full-time jobs. So dance was nowhere near 50% of their income. Right. So, but does that make them less a professional? Just because it's not fifty percent of their income, right? That's a good point. That's a very good point. I and I don't think, <laughs> honestly, my personal. Here, okay, here's my I point. might have stumped Mr. <laughs> Showcase. No, 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 no. I'm just figured, I, you know, I have to think about how to say these things. So, I don't think financial compensation determines whether you're a professional or not. I think people we have that impression, okay, um, especially especially here in the states. I don't know how it is in other countries, but I think here in the states. We have the impression that if you're getting paid a lot of money to do something, you're an expert at it, like you're really good at it. I don't think that's necessarily the case all the time, right? Because there are people that are highly skilled and highly talented at many things who do not get the financial rewards that that I feel they would deserve for being that skilled or that good at what they do. So I don't think financial compensation really has any bearing on it. So... That to me, and I, I know agree. that I, for competitions, I understand they have to put something in place to determine what what an amateur is versus what a professional is. But that's but, a, it's a tricky slope. They right? usually because USLDC is the only one that does that. Every other, every other. Did you see remove that from their? Well, obviously, right. you were able to win a world championship <laughs> in choreography a couple of years back, Derek's. You know what I mean, right? Choreography Chore- it, for choreography yeah. for their choreography competition. Yeah, it does for some reason they don't play by the same rules. Like you don't have to qualify to the dancing. You right. we just right. talked about this on our live show. Yeah. the other night, it's a crazy, but well, a hundred percent. And I, they did it because they won more entries. Because back in the day, there was tons of people that were into it. Because line dancing was big in the UC back yeah. then. It's not as much anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Um, but I'm talking about like other choreography competitions like Fort Wayne, Chicago, Vegas. That's not a rule. Right. Anybody can enter. So, right. perfect example, I lost Fort Wayne to three people who got paid to teach. When I was still an amateur in the USLDCC, I took second place to a, to a dance that was choreographed by not one, not two, but three people who got paid right. to go to events. So I have a question. As an instructor and a choreographer. I have a question for you. Ask away, please. <laughs> and I'm judging by the grin on his face right now, this is going to be one that he's going to... Cause me to get controversial real quick. <laughs> exactly. So 
what would you consider? Because I know you, 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 you don't have strong opinions about anything. <laughs> but what would you consider? As, let's, because there's, there's different elements to this, right? There's, mm-hmm. different, there's just some different aspects to the line dance circuit of what we're talking about as far as professional, depending on what we're, what we're yep. addressing. So like choreography, I'm going to go in, in the uh, route of choreography. What would you, Kelly Caballero, specifically consider to be an amateur when it comes to choreography? Like, what would your no one? What would your definitions be? No one. To be straight up honest, no one. And the reason being, if you're going to be confident enough by the definition with professional means assured enough (laughs) to put your creative process on paper, on video, out there for other professionals to teach to people. Go with the big dogs. <laughs> Are we considered up and comers? Yes. Yeah. Because here's the here's the thing, and I already disagree with this aspect because we've talked about this other aspect. You're wanting you're wanting up and comers to come in and work for free. Mm-hmm. Event directors are wanting up and comers and new people on the block to come in and work for free. Or if they don't consider if they don't consider the choreographer at the same level as like a Rachel or a you or a Scott, they want them to come in to work for peanuts. Okay. They want them to come in and work twice as hard. Now, this isn't 20 years ago. We're not some unknown person that no one heard of. There's this thing called social media, social media. YouTube, yep. and all like that. And here's my theory. If the instructor knows some of the, if the instructor's being phone called by the event director, pay them. I'm not reaching out to the event saying, hey, I want to come work for your event. If someone is calling up and saying, hey, I want you to come teach for me at my event. At least pay them enough to right. cover the air expenses to get there. No one should be paying to come work. Especially and in case you didn't know this, people, that actually happens quite a, a lot. lot. That happens a lot. <laughs> but here's my th- here's my thing, because I've been on staff with you. You and I both know we don't get paid the same. And I shouldn't I don't expect to get paid the same as you as an instructor. Never, nowhere even close. But that doesn't mean we're not putting in the same amount of work all weekend long. Right. And, and you know right. that because right. you've seen me. Yeah. You Very had true. me teach at your events when I was there to do yes. floor up yeah. in Kansas City. So and that aspect, they're still working. They're still coming in and busting their tail. Yes. They're getting involved. Having and they're s- dancing. You know how my brain works. Uh-huh. I, have to, I have to jump in while I think of it. No, go ahead. Having said that, Kelly, there are some people who do these events that – don't work as much as other people. Oh no, absolutely. And yet, they show up, teach their three and yet classes. They might be being paid more. Right. So. They show up, teach their three classes, sit at a table, and then go to bed at midnight. <laughs> uh, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. I'm. I'm. I'm not. But my thing is, is that professional behavior? No, absolutely not. And that's a whole. <laughs> that's, di- but that's a on. The, that's a whole different topic of professionalism, which <laughs> why I, I prefaced that this was probably going to be a two part podcast. On the ver on on. On the basis of choreography, like you asked. Yep. Because here's the thing. It shouldn't be a difference. It, it really shouldn't. Because here's my thing. If I'm coming and showing off what I create, and I could make the biggest... Some amateur, what is defined as amateur, could make the biggest hit in line dancing. Yeah, true. Very true. But, Perfect example. The Crystal Boot Awards this past year nominated Brandon Zahorsky for like five ten categories. One of them was rising star anybody in the united states would never consider brandon zahorsky a rising star he's been around for 
10 plus years. Quite a while. He's been 10 plus years. I still remember the very first event Junior Willis brought him into Virginia. I was there to yep. do shoes and Junior brought him in to replace him. I still remember that to this day. Yeah, he's been around. Everyone in the States knows him. I would never consider him a rising star. He is he is already here. He's risen. Yes. He's, he's got that level. I hear what you're saying, and I, I have to relate it to, let's say, the music industry. Because you will have people who have, you know, it, it's, it's a similar thing because you have people that have put it, sort of paid their dues, but yeah, they but don't become big stars like overnight. That's right? not true. So, Morgan Wallen. Well, some people do. More, Luke but, Combs. But, but Luke Combs of, got rejected from The Voice and then he put out a number one album. Yeah, but what I, I guess what I'm saying is that it wasn't like instantaneous. Yeah. It wasn't like overnight. Well, for most people, they've actually put in their dues. They've, they've spent time honing their craft. Um, getting better yeah, and but, getting more skilled at what they do. So my that's, question, that's my a question. little bit different though, because they're based on sales. There's based on sales of their, their yes. art. Ours aren't based on sales. Do you think at though, all? Do you, I have a question though. Do you think that I'm, this is, I'm really curious. So I'd like, actually I'd like to run analytics on this. That'd be really cool. Um, but uh, the people that are getting hired to teach at events, is it because what's the reason? Is it because they have hits, hit dances that people are doing? Dad, you, is it because is that, is that like what? You, what is? No, I'm. This is a. I'm serious. This is actually something we should ask about this. The name. Because why do? I'll say it. The name. But why do? And let me give examples. And I'm not picking anybody. Why do events hire Jill Whites? Or why do people? Why do events hire? The, um, I'm trying to think of anybody. Um, people that we would consider are not. Like huge names in the in the. You're in right because the they need industry. a filler. They don't want to work their stars nonstop. Is what it is. <laughs> they want a filler. But, but I want to know why the why the um, event director chooses those people. Like, what's their motivating factor? Cheap. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being straight up honest with you. If you turn around and you look at if you look at the event, if you if you look at who some of these events choose, and I know I'm going to get flack for this. I, it, it's going to happen. <laughs> If you look at some of the events, you have your A, level A, level B, level C, or as Maddie B would call it, line of celebrities. It's great. I love that term. <laughs> I use it all the time. You have your line of celebrities. So you have those three, four, depending on the event, if it's a Windy City or a marathon, 12 to 15, yeah, more. top notch, it's costing them a pretty penny to get them there. Then you have that mid-level, which is the people who have been hanging around, the people that are just thing, and you know what? It happens. Then you have your bottom dwellers, or your sea level, as a lot of people call them. They're just enough. They're the locals. They're, they're the ones. But the, here's the issue. They're working more than the people up here. Sometimes, yes. A 90% of the yeah. time. And you and I both know that. Right. And the thing is, because I travel a lot, and I see, yeah. I see people everywhere. Right. So I don't just see people at conventions or I don't just see people at bars. Or right. I don't just see people at their local VFW. I see people everywhere at all kinds of venues. And some of those local instructors are what I would call more professional than oh, absolutely. Some, of the, some of the quote unquote big names. Right? I, I'm not so disagreeing with you at all. I agree with you 110%. The, that's where the whole, what do we consider professional, right? Because I've, I'm just going to go off on a, on a tangent here, which I never do, right? Um, <laughs> one of the things I feel makes a person in our industry, and I think this is true of any industry, of a, a true professional is you know how to behave. 
That hold on a minute. What I nope. mean by that is nope. What, nope. <laughs> what I'm I gonna, mean by that is what I mean by that is when you go to an event, I don't mean behave like be good or be nice. I mean you know how to to interact with people. You know, like um, when you go I, to an that event, didn't help none. <laughs> that didn't help none. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> a, a good, a true. In my, I'm talking about my idea of what a, <laughs> what a professional. I'm serious. What, what? I what I what I think of an idea of ideal professional. And the reason I'm going off on this tangent is because there's a lot of up and comers right now. There's people that are coming in who, especially USLDCC comps, correct, are doing choreography and feeling like that's their avenue to becoming a traveling instructor or joining the circuit, if whatever you want to call it. And then they come to me for for feedback and advice. And one of the things I tell them is, you have to stay approachable. You have to be approachable. You have to be nice. And especially now, because you know this almost better than anybody, Kelly, we're constantly bombarded with cameras, right? Oh, absolutely. There's always somebody filming you. There's always somebody with their phone out. And you you have to be on like 24-7. You know, you can't be wake up cranky and come down the elevator and there's 14 people and they're ready to go to your class like good morning good morning be like don't talk to me i'm in a bad mood right so part of it is your demeanor i guess your the how you interact with people i think the best and i just had this conversation with somebody about a person who was a huge name in our industry who's no longer around and i was saying i honestly feel (laughs) i'm gonna name names but i feel like a lot of that had to do with their personality they weren't necessarily nice right they had sort of a diva attitude and people people don't appreciate that right and yeah but some people some event oh, directors thrive on that know, some event I directors know, only know. pick them i know I we totally know this you. yes i know and I, there's certain people that i like come pop, pop, pop right into my head yes when you say that. yes but i feel the ones who are the most successful are the ones that are relatable like people feel like it's a real person and they can you know one of uh, i'm just going to say like for me when the whole COVID thing happened, mm-hmm. the whole pandemic lockdown thing, and I was out of a job, right? Because this, this is what I've done for 30 years. It's been my full-time career for 30 years. This month, May, we're doing this in May of 2023, if anybody's listening. Um, and I've been doing this for 30 years. I started in May of 1993. So I feel part of the reason that I'm still here is because I try to be a nice person. I, when people come to talk to me, and I wasn't, there's been times you can tell, you can talk to people who will say the word. So I'll give you an example. When Joe first took me to England, mm-hmm. okay, I'd never traveled overseas before. Joe Thompson Szymanski gave me the app. Scott Blevins asked me to go first, and I wasn't able to do it because of my job. It wasn't, I didn't have time. I would, had a job then. I worked at a hospital. I couldn't do it, right? So when Joe asked me to go, I wasn't working. I'd moved to Louisville, Kentucky. Didn't have a job yet because I was going to try to do this as a full-time thing. So I was able to go. And I think that little taste of, like, people over there really treated you like a star. Like, they wanted your autograph. They wanted to take pictures with you. It was, it was seriously like, and this may sound silly, but it was kind of like being Michael Jackson yep. or Madonna or so like people were like, oh, you know, they were, and that's how it was back then because to go to England, it was still rather new. And so the U.S. instructors were revered, if you want to call that. They were looked up to like, oh, they even have seatbelts on planes back then when you did that. <laughs> Be quiet. Did they still allow smoking? <laughs> yeah, probably. About a... <laughs> but so, but I think part of that got went to my head. Like, ooh, all these people think I'm amazing. And, and I'm, I try to be pretty humble, right? Or I don't think I'd be still doing this now. Um, but I think that's a big... I had to learn to 
rein that in, right? And go, it isn't all about me. And this is true of everything in life, right? He Kelly? says this now as we do a podcast called Controversial Conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew I learned, had to learn this for myself, right? To stay, I get that. to stay humble and approachable. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that's well. A, I remember a you asked me you asked me a question a while back when I was still competing in the USLDCC. And, and you asked me this, and I remember us having this conversation. I know I remember exactly where we were, <laughs> Boston Line Dance Showdown, right before COVID, sitting at the bar. I remember right after the choreography competition. Um, actually, it was a year before COVID. I take that back because um, I it was during the year I took off. Mm. I competed year one, year two, took off. One, two, and three, took off year four, competed year five. I came back for one more, one more last off, made finals in year three, made finals in year five. Sat at the bar, and he asked me this very question. He told me, you're done. You're retired. You're, 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 you're stopping of not competing is done after the finals. You're coming back competing next year. <laughs> he goes, you're not doing this to me ever again. <laughs> I remember this statistically. He got done judging, walks up to my booth with Kelly, and goes, are you still videotaping? Nope, I'm, gonna, I'm done for the day. He goes, good. I'm done for the day too. I need a margarita. Me and you are going to the bar. We need to talk. And uh, <laughs> it was, it, you know, and he asked me this question, and he asked, and I know I have a mouth on me. I'll be the first to admit it. I know I have a mouth on me. I don't, I don't shy away from it. I, I you know, I got to the point where it does, it does no good. You know, I, I am I opinionated? Yes. Have I got to the point where? I try to do and bring light to topics that we should be talking about. It should just not throw to the wayside. And um, John asked me, do, you, do I think my mouth and the way I approach things um, has hindered me from being hired? And I go, probably. And I, I was honest, probably. And I said something about it. And you know what? I, I consider myself professional. I consider myself professional probably 95% of the time. Do I have my moments? Yes. We all do. We all do. We, everybody has their moments. But you ask anybody who I've worked for, anybody who's worked with me, I give 250%. The work ethic is there. Yes. I go, there's not a thing that I'm not willing to do, and I try to make that event that I'm at as best as possible for not only the attendees but the event director. And that's what I've always considered my job. And I answered him, yeah, I probably have, because at the time I questioned a lot about the USLDCC. I asked questions. Um, I know the rule book probably better than anybody, and if you ask them, they will tell you, call Kelly. I get calls all the time with questions. John has seen it. I get calls all the time. He's, he's called me when we've talked about USLDC stuff. And my thing is, if I questioning, me questioning something, give someone else an opportunity down the road, then it was worth it because I don't need to be a top name choreographer. I know I'm never going to be a top name choreographer. It doesn't mean I'm not going to keep trying to put out my dances, but I think, and this is me being Frank, us, we're never going to get viewed that way. People don't realize, and I've said this, I, I will be the first one to support up and comers that are people who are not going to be considered professionals. I support the USLDC probably more than anybody. I've been an advocate for the next generation because guess what? Unfortunately, and I 
I'm not being morbid. <laughs> the man across from me is not going to be able to do this for the rest of his life. You are not going to have Joe for the rest of our life. Scott, Rachel, Guyton's already retired. You know, eventually these people are going to go by the wayside. You know, people get families. They probably so, slow down. Roy, Fiona, Fred, Shane. If we don't groom the next professional and start treating them a little bit better, it's not going to end up. It's not going to end well because we're going to be right back where we were. You know, I said COVID, everyone says COVID was a bad thing. Unpopular opinion, I think COVID was a great thing because it made a lot of people realize that at any given time, events can go by the wayside. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Line dancing will not die because we still have country bars. We still have locations that do it. It will survive. And yes, that's the next generation. And part of them need to be professional and they're not. I think like you were said earlier, the people who ask you about the like the, the people competing, I think we're missing some steps. We don't, they don't need to be considered professional because they have 100 million views on TikTok. Right. Because right. TikTok has made them professionals. Yes. And I was just going to say that. Just... YouTube, YouTube has made a lot of people <laughs> professionals. Right. And I get it. I do. I 100% get it. Some of the biggest, sorry, but no, that, go ahead. that just, again, it relates because I'm a music guy, right? So it relates to music. Some of the hugest music people in music can't sing for shit. You know, they're not that great of a singer. No. Right? They auto That's why they make auto-tune. Yeah, they auto-tune their voices. And so when you see them live, you're like, what the heck? And that's why they lip-sync a lot. This is truth. I'm speaking truth, right? We all know there's people. Millie Vanilli made it very popular back in the day. <laughs> but even now, there's people that are that are massive. And I, when you hear them live, you're like, they're not that good of a singer, right? It's because of everything else they do. So they have a massive uh, online presence and because they can actually be entertaining when they perform instead of having to sing well, they put on grandiose shows or whatever. There's that, so, but yet they're getting paid tons of money for something they're not the greatest at. And that's what bugs me, right? So I see, sorry, I'm going off on a, a rant again, but um, a couple things I wanted to talk about with the stuff that you were bringing up. Um, so you have people... It's, sorry, I'm, you know how I'm going to do this. We're going to ramble. We can always come back. But one of the things that popped in my head while you were talking was talking about working at events and your work ethic. Mm -hmm. And I think that, honestly, is probably maybe the biggest factor of what makes a professional professional is your work ethic. But we have people who come to the... I'm sorry, I'm going to... I got to say this because I'm going to go there. I choreographed a show <clears throat> at the request of the event director. Okay? Scott Blevins asked me to put together the show for the marathon. Was it I, I remember this. Um, I had a long talk with some people in a, in a hospitality suite. <laughs> and I don't personally find it very professional if you're going to piss and moan and whine about having to do routines in the show when I'm going to go there, right? Because if you teach a class every week, every week, You've got to learn dances every week. You've got to review things every week. No, they don't. They just 30... take the step sheet out. You, know you and I, mean. I both know that. It's 32 counts. It's 64 counts. It's not like you've never done a 64 count dance before or a dance that has ABCs, a phrase thing. So when you have to learn a routine for a show, and it, let's say it's an ABC thing, and each part is 32 counts, that's nothing any different than what you've done before. The only difference is there's pressures on because you've got to learn it quickly. right? We never have a lot of time to do this. We, we have to learn it quickly and present it on Saturday night at the event. So there's a little time pressure, but I personally don't feel like that's anything more stressful than what you would normally do. Now, some people say, well, I'm just not comfortable being an entertainer, right? Wait a minute. 
So, and <laughs> then why are you on stage? Well, exactly. So, and again, I'm going to rant about this because part of what, and maybe I'm talking out of my ass, but what I feel like what makes me valuable to have people still hire me now, right? Mm-hmm. Is because I can do whatever they ask of me all around, whatever it is, teach, perform, MC, whatever they ask me to do, I can do it, right? So I've, but I've worked, prepared myself to be able to do that. I get in the right frame of mind. Okay, good example. Jamie Marshall's event. Mm -hmm. We have a show, Saturday night. Very long one. (laughs) And a lot of times, I mean, we get step sheets in advance, or she writes out the choreography, so we get that in advance, right? So I look at that before I get there. And there are people who don't bother to look at it until we're standing there on Thursday, ready to practice. And Jamie always says, make sure you've already learned this so we don't have to teach it to you. But then there's the people, sorry, I'm going on a rant, but there are people that don't bother to do it. and I Because they're not getting be, paid yet. I find that to be very unprofessional. But they're not getting paid. Do you think that it's all the people that aren't getting paid that don't put their... Oh, no. <laughs> what if, uh, no. Do you want me to name names? No, but they're technically not working. <laughs> That, see, and here's it. I yes. Do I disagree with it? Absolutely. Do I think that's the people's mindset? Absolutely. It's called prep work, and it, they don't they don't view it's that. Part of being a professional. But be prepared. Is it, but no. But is it? No. Be prepared is not anywhere in that definition. Unfortunately. <laughs> It's in my definition. Well, I understand it. It'd be in mine too. But, be prepared. And, and having said that, though, you also have to be flexible because I'll, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, well, well, come on. We know better than that. <laughs> come give on. Give another example. I'm going to be working Dancing for the Dream starting Saturday, coming up in day after tomorrow yep. here in, in, in uh, Alabama. And the first time I did Dancing for the Dream, which is uh, hosted by Scooter Lee, that's, yep. she does it for seniors. It's great. I love it. It's super fun. I love the program. I enjoy them immensely. The first time I did it, though, worked it, right? I, I had attended them, but I hadn't worked one. So the first time I worked it, Scooter sent me a list of dances I would be teaching. So I prepared. I heard this. This is great. I learned them. I was ready to go. I knew them all. The first thing out of her mouth, almost the first thing, she says, we're at the, the social on the <laughs> night before, and she says, John's going to come up and walk you through Blue Roses. And I'm standing at the side of the stage, and I literally said, I am? Because that was not on the list. And I did not know. I had done Blue Roses like eons ago, not any time in the recent history. So I quickly pulled out my phone and learned the damn dance from my phone on the step sheet walking up the stage, right? I learned it by the time I got up to the stage. So that's what I mean. Yes, yes, you need to be prepared, but you also need to be flexible because sometimes what we plan doesn't actually happen. Okay, but here's the problem, and I'm going to say this. You have your people with great work ethic. You have your people that will come prepared. All six of them? Well, whatever. Whatever it is. All the people that come prepared, know their stuff, or or for the most part, know a, a good amount of it, get there. They're prepared. They know all their club, everything. They do their videos on time. They're they're prepared. They're in the ballroom, and yet they're not the ones that are getting asked back. Mm. They're not the ones that get invited to other places. They're not the, even the top of, because no one, no one considers them the draw, mm. and that's my problem. I get, oh, they paid their dues. They paid their dues. They paid their dues. Okay. Just because this person has never been to an event, does that mean they didn't pay their dues? Did they not been dancing for the last 15 years working up to this point? Right. I remember I remember someone who um, 
won the WDM choreography competition, won the teaching spot, won the non-country whole thing, came back over, asked to teach at an event for free. They did or they, they were asked? asked no, they, they, asked. they approached the event director because they were already going to be there, mm. asked, I will teach for free if you give me just one teaching spot. The event director said, no, you have not earned a spot to mm-hmm. teach at this event. That is the problem. <laughs> that right there is the problem. Yeah. You haven't earned to teach. You haven't earned to come work me for free. <laughs> now, mind you, I'm a little confused. What didn't they earn? What? Because they're an American? Because... If it was the same person, I'm willing to bet you, if it was the same person that won the whole thing years prior and was because they were from the UK or Europe, Mm -hmm. and they said, hey, we're going to be at the event anyway. You want to let us? Absolutely, they said yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I'll say it. It it wasn't a fair situation. I I think the person got hosed. Mm -hmm. They won the whole WDM competition, and... I'll say it because I lost, I lost the finals. I lost the countryside. I was one of the, I won one of the three divisions that year. I was one of two Americans that made the final six. Mm. That's the problem. So yeah, you have the people who work their butts off, bust their rear end, offer to come work for free, which puts all the rest of us that say, Hey, we want to get paid. And every other vendor is say, why am I going to, every other vendor is going to say, why am I going to pay you if you're willing to go work for them for free in a really bad spot? Because you know what? That's the whole point. Anybody who turns around and says they're competing in choreography competition just to get their dance out there. I'm sorry. I'm going to call this. You're full of it. You're full of it. Because if all you're doing is choreography, choreographing for a trophy, stop. Just stop. I said this to many people when I was competing. If I was in this competition and I got a phone call from an event saying, hey, we want to pay you to come work for us. We got a, we got a big need to feel. I'm done. I no longer need to be considered an amateur by those definitions. That's, that's, that's my point. That I, then my goal is accomplished. My goal is accomplished. I am now going to be on that stage. Someone's willing to put their faith in me to bring me here to entertain and teach and, co- and, and teach my stuff. Yep. I'm done. I, wonder, I don't need the trophy. Yeah. I wonder, this pop, thought just popped in my head, because I wonder, you and I both know we've been in this industry for quite a while and worked a lot of events, right? Mm-hmm. I wonder if those up and com- if we want to call them up and comers, who say they want to break into the circuit, understand exactly how much work it is because i've had people say to me right this is true this is true. but is it well yes it, i've had people truly say it but well, hold on but true by it, your definition for doing it for 20 years yes <laughs> by today's standards though is it no i don't think it is yeah i i don't because all it takes is one dance all it takes is one one hit wonder all it takes is one person to like you all it takes is one person and you all of a sudden this name is on a flyer and then everybody around is like, oh, 
Yeah. Obviously, this person's good. Done. So you have, and here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma that I'm seeing, right? It's related directly what, just what, to what you're saying. Because mm-hmm. I've seen people compete. We'll use L- USLDCC. Yep. Right? Because I have specific examples in my head right now. And somebody who won, who then started getting hired, and I've watched this person teach. Mm-hmm. I know. I are, man, I know. <laughs> I know exactly who he's talking about. This is great. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, because I'm going. But so, they still got hired. Exactly. They're still getting and hired. They're getting hired like all over the place. Right. But you have people, other people, who had. I'm going to say it as controversial conversations who had better dances, better choreography, who may not have taken first place. Why? Thank you, John. I'll, I appreciate that. <laughs> who, you know, I've actually seen teach who are better and should be hired. So one of the people I've been, I'm just going to say it right here. One of the people I've been recommending when event directors are coming to me to hire somebody in the States is Chris Johns. Okay. Yep. Because he has really clever and interesting choreography that flows and makes sense. He choreographs to different materials, so he's not just one niche. You know, he's not just doing hip-hop or just, you know what I mean, or um, improver level. He does a variety of things. So when he's hired to work an event, he can bring that variety. He can teach easier stuff. He can teach harder stuff. He can teach to different kinds of music, pop, country, whatever. And he's a friendly, nice guy. He is. Like, one, he, of my, one of my closest friends. He, Shout out to Tiny Hands. <laughs> I've gone to... <laughs> I've take I've gone to his lessons. Mm-hmm. I've stood in the room listening to him teach, and he's a great instructor, right? And I don't say that lightly. There's very few people. There's people who are big names in our industry that I don't consider to be great instructors, right? So he's actually a really good instructor. So in my opinion, he's got that professionalism about him, and he should be and, recognized for it and hired because of that. And I, I actually I'm gonna I'm gonna give a quick shout out to Chris Jocks because he was in a tough situation coming up. As a competitor, he competed the whole year. We had the COVID. Me and him competed together the year. Last last finals at Boston ends up getting canceled. Marathon gets canceled. Finals ends up being the very first event back from COVID at Tampa Bay at Florida Line Dance Classic, and uh, he lost. He uh, he lost the overall. He he made the he was the phrase finalist. Wendy Smith was the intermediate advanced finalist, and Adia uh, Nuno was the uh, newcomer novice at the time, beginner improver now. And um, he took second place by one judge in the finals, the final three. And he received some comments back, and this for those who listened to our show yesterday, <laughs> um, at the time of listening to this, this is, we're recording this the day after we did the first honky tonk highway back live on air. And we talked about levels of dance and, uh, classifying them when it comes to choreography competition and stuff like that. And he was told by a couple judges that his dance was too hard. That was his comments of why they told him he lost the finals, that his dance was too hard. Now, I then watched him go back, and this is where this is where I'm biting my tongue. Yeah, I, I I I know you're biting your tongue. <laughs> this is where I I I. The reason I'm bringing this up, most people in that situation would have stopped. Mm. Most people in that situation would have just possibly maybe kept choreographing, but never would have done it again. And he came back, and not only did he come back, he came back with a vengeance. You know what? He uh, made finals. Um, won two out of the three divisions 
at the finals and won the overall. And I was very fortunate to get to go to England that year with him, which was last year. Um, when he taught, which they sent, and this was even the weirdest thing too. They sent both winners because the year before the winner, the winner of the USLDC, for those who don't know, who's listening to this or watching, um, gets the teaching spot at world dance masters and black at the world championships due to COVID and the travel restrictions still the year before Adia could not go. So last year when Chris won at in marathon in June, that end of July, beginning of August, not only did he go. Adia had her trip as well from when Chris lost. And um, I was very fortunate enough. I got to be there for his first teach. Um, I ended up dancing in the show with him with Country Vive. Um, we spent the week in England together beforehand. I got to watch him propose to his amazing fiance now, Caitlin. Uh, and I got to be a whole part of that. And I actually, you'll appreciate this because. Uh, for those who didn't know, John Robinson will be at World Dance Masters this year as we're talking just randomly about this in this <laughs> podcast. And um, he was in England the same weekend in Southport uh, for an event with Mike Stringer. And I knew he was doing that. He was at my house a couple weeks before that. And I convinced him, yo, the train ticket is literally 20, to, 20 pounds to get from Southport to Blackpool. You're flying out of Manchester anyway. Come stay in Airbnb with us, the four of us. The night, just come over for Sunday night. You're flying out Monday anyway. You can ride the train in with Ian Kelly on on Monday morning, and he did. And he walked in as um, Line Dancer Radio had the uh, another ballroom where they're doing interviews and a little open dancing. And I was tasked as being a D- still a DJ on Line Dancer Radio as interviewing Chris Jocks and Michelle Reasley. And um, I opened up the interview with Chris, and this was right before you got there. Because you got there near the end of it, and uh, right before, and, and Caitlin and them were sitting in the background. It was great. Competition was still going on in the other room, and I opened up the question with Chris. So I'm going to go. I, I told I want to go. I go. <laughs> I didn't tell you how I'm opening on purpose. I wanted a real emotional answer. Mm. How did it feel coming back and winning? And all I heard from the back from Caitlin is like, "Oh, he went there." <laughs> <laughs> It was like dead silence. He goes, you're really starting with that, huh? (laughs) So that's a professional. That right there, boom, shows you. And that was my point. And I want to chime in because I've also witnessed Chris's dedication to learning to be a better instructor and a better choreographer. He's been very um, dedicated and serious about it, which impresses the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm a big... I will anybody any event director here in the states who asks me who to hire right now the person at the top of my list is Chris. Um, I've actually I'm told not, two different event directors the same yeah, thing. <laughs> I'm not shy about saying that. Either am they're, I. They're, the work ethic that I've seen from him just boggles my mind, honestly, because I feel what you said earlier. Um, we just briefly touched on it. Is that today, and this is not just line dancing. This is true of everything in life. People feel like, well, they can just become a star if they just go viral on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram, right? And they don't have to actually be good at anything or, you know, a lot of times I watch, so I'll, I'll, I'll say it, I go on TikTok every now and then, I don't, I'm not on there religiously, right? But every now and then I need, you know, a lighthearted break. And I usually like to watch the funny cat videos or the people who are trying to dance but can't really, <laughs> which is very amusing. But I see things and I go, you're not very good at this, so, so try something different, right? But people think that because they have a camera and a phone or whatever, they can just do something and be instantly 
good at it and instantly famous for doing it. But the point here is that Chris actually took the time to do the work. Right? Yes. So, and he still does. He still, re and I still do. Ask Joe. Ask me. I still learn, try to learn something new every day. And I'm talking about just life in general, but also about dancing. I don't know everything about dancing. Right? I don't really know anybody who knows everything about dancing. Okay. Since we're talking about dancing, let me, let me ask you this question because I've been told this by multiple people. And I don't agree with it personally, not even close. And that's the fact that the way to become an instructor and the way to get recognized and the way to go to an event is to be dancing nonstop during open dancing. I, well, so, okay. There's two sides to that, right, Kelly? There's always, there's always more than one side, which is why we have these conversations. Correct. So part of me sees that because... So dancing, that goes right against the fact that dancing makes you a good instructor or a good choreographer? Well, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that as far as professionalism goes, okay... Do you want me to name names? <laughs> I don't want to name names. In this case, I don't want to say, but I know you're going to know who I'm talking about. There are people that only know their own choreography. Yep. And therefore, they sit all night and talk to other, to, usually behind the DJ booth, okay, but, which makes them seem unapproachable, right? And they still get booked everywhere, though. Exactly. I feel like, I mean, my whole career, first of all, I love doing other people's choreography. Dancing to me is dancing. I don't need to do just my own stuff, right? I love doing stuff that you've choreographed. I love doing stuff that Darren's choreographed. I love doing stuff that total people who've never heard of on the circuit have done, right? There's a little dance I've been teaching touring uh, the last few months called Best Night by Sue Jennings. Sue Jennings is not a big name. Nobody knows who she is really except her local people, right? And so just where did I see? I can't remember where I saw it. Oh, um, a dancer sent me the sheet, I believe, through Facebook Messenger. Said, oh, my friend Sue wrote this little dance. It would be really cool if you looked at it. I looked at it. I liked the music. I liked the steps. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to teach that because it's fun. So for me, I would rather be out there dancing as much as I can because I don't know all the new ones. It's impossible for me to dance all night. But I think that that impresses, and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that impresses the attendees, the people who actually paid to be there. I think they like to be able to mingle with you and see, enjoy that fun with you. But if you're, I get that if you're an A-lister already. I get that if you're you. Oh, right. But, well, but as someone coming up, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. the attendees don't know, they, they don't know that they're trying right. to become but an it, instructor. They can't hurt anything. But I mean, the more... Also, I feel like, and you know I'm going to say this, Kelly, I feel like the more you dance, the more opportunity you have to better yourself. So I'm not disagreeing, but learn, what about you... those people who, one, have other jobs at events? Right. Two, True. are in the other ballrooms and not in the main ballroom yeah, at yeah, an yeah. event. Yeah, very good point, yes. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. there's my, there's yes, my two biggest arguments about that because most event directors that I know of never leave the main ballroom. That actually, let me rephrase this. Ones event directors that still actually travel and go to events and actually know what's going on in the dance world. Well, we know this from but the events never, we've worked together where you've been DJing or, one of the rooms. and Or I've been DJing or I'm <laughs> running a live stream camera or I'm going off to fix floor issues. Right. Or, right. Or, yeah. Or I'm, like you said, in uh, DJing in another room. Now, how do I have time to go dance in front of an event director in the main ballroom right. if right. I'm tasked with DJing in the right. other room? And that's, I've heard that, honestly, I've heard that said to me at some events. Like, mm -hmm. I never saw you in the main ballroom. I'm talking about the event director. Yep. And I'm like, did you think to check the other two ballrooms? You had two other ballrooms. Or events that run four ballrooms at night? Exactly. So, uh, like Marathon, for example. Yep. Around the corner is one, and then down the hall, there's another one. Yeah. So, I like to go in. Here's what I happens. know of plenty of instructors 
and I won't mention names that have gotten blacklisted from events because the DJ in the main ballroom went off to the event director saying they were never in my ballroom. And I'm like, well, here's another thing. Here's another fact. You have four ballrooms. How is that? Yeah. This doesn't, this relates to professionalism of DJs then. (laughs) Well, that's (laughs) because, well, because there are many times and I'm saying many times. You mean I can't bring out a tip jar? (laughs) There's many times where the dances that I've taught do not get played. Right. Yeah. And then I have students coming up to me and I'm not saying like one or two, I'll say it's a class of like 85 people and they're all going, are we ever going to get to the dance you taught? I'm like, well, I've request, I said, you need to go request it. The more requests that that DJ gets from people, the students, the more weight it's going to carry. Then if I just go up there and go, could you play the dance I taught at three o'clock yesterday? But also I know this and I know this from other DJs. Some DJs do it. Some DJs don't. Um, They'll some DJs actually do try to wait till the instructor's in the room. Which I totally understand. I get it. I 100% get that. Do I think it's the instructor's job to go and tell the DJ in the, in the room? Yes and no. It's hard. It's a big room. It's, if the DJ's doing their job, they are scanning the room, but they're scanning the dance floor. Right. Right. Not the room. They're skimming right. the floor to right. see what's the popular, what's going on. Yes. What kind of group has been up? Do I need to get a different group up? And that's yep. and that's for mainly for the rooms that have two two workshop, two two open dance rooms at night. The ones that have multiple than more than two, my first question is why? I don't understand it. It it's repetitive. It it it's just a lot. Yeah. There's there's well also so this has happened at quite a few events that I actually I can think of almost Half of the events I've worked this year so far, and this is it's amusing to me. So main ballroom, and they play whatever. I know exactly right? where you're going with because I was and there. Like Five the, minutes later, I, you go to the other ballroom. They no, play the instantly, same. Instantly, I go out the door to the other ballroom, and that same song is either on right now or it's coming up next. And I'm like, so you know, there's that issue as well. And I yep. don't want to go off on a tangent about DJs. And but, yeah, that helps. It, that helps when the room, the events that have the screens. Or the, some events that use DJ feed, but then it doesn't though because the other DJ is like, oh well, if I need if they're playing them, I need to get those those instructors in my room instead. And I was so they'll turn say, around and put them right yeah. at the same time and then make the instructor say, choose. That's an issue for the instructor. Yes, the names at the event, whoever's teaching, because I have to be paying attention because I cannot tell you again how many times people are like, oh my god, they just played your dance in the other room. Like, oh well, they were just doing it in this room. Shit. Right. So then I missed it. So then those people are cranky because I wasn't in their room yep. doing it with them. But I'm like, I can't be two places at once. So there's that aspect of it as well. The other part, and we're kind of going on a little bit of a tangent. That's why you said this might be a two-hour well, thing. I knew better. <laughs> I, I, there were so many elements to this. I knew better. Specifically at events, right? I lost my train of thought. It was something about... Rooms and running back and forth and just oh so I don't and I think we talked about this a little bit when we did the podcast we probably did when we did the podcast about what's expected of instructors at events yes but our professionalism if you want to call it that when does it stop start and end at a specific time like you can go to work right those of you that have this is my job please understand this is I I enjoy it but it's work it's my job it's work right. Those of you that have an eight to five job or whatever hours you go to work, you go into work, your professionalism starts, right? If you want to call it that, that's your job. That's your duty. That's what you're, you're skilled and being paid to do. You do it till your day is done. And then you go home and you have a life, right? When we're at dance events, we don't get to have a life. Seriously. 
I don't think people understand this because I'm supposed to, for example, for me, I also have a vendor booth to run, okay? So let's say registration opens at 8 a.m., all right? Well, I like to have at least an hour to get ready in the morning, which means I have to get up at least by 7, which means I have to get up, I'll wake up before that if I want an hour to get ready. He truly does right? take an hour to get ready in I the morning. I do, and I know that, so I'm, I'm well aware. I know I want an hour, <laughs> right? So that means, But I have to set my alarm earlier than that, so I actually have the hour to get up. So then from 7 o'clock in the morning until God knows what time I'm going to go to bed, which could be 4 in the morning, how many hours of that is... That's my, that's, yeah, see, that's that, me having to be there's another, working. There's another problem I have, and this brings up to the professionalism of some <clears throat> event directors and stuff like that. If you know the instructor um, is a late night person and you want those people, I, I know event directors. I'm a late night person. Well, I know, I've known event directors, and I'll, I'll say this Jen Cameron um, has messaged me before, like she's messaged me right after midnight and then at two o'clock in the morning because she's getting messages, complaints. Uh that instructors aren't in the ballroom. I'm like... At 2 in the morning. At 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, mind you, (laughs) I looked at the survivor photo that JP and them posted, and I want to say a third of the instructors were in the survivor photo. The problem is it's not the third of the instructors that these people want in the ballroom. Mm. That's number one. You should not be complaining at 2 o'clock in the morning that there's not instructors in the ballroom. We do need, we're human. We would like to get some sleep. Well, the other thing too is <laughs> this, there are, I know, I do know other event directors that have questioned, well, why weren't you up late? Where were you all night? It, but then they scheduled you for the 9 a.m. teach. Not, yeah, exactly. I'm like, Which is you can't expect, it's strong. <laughs> first teach they the can't, morning, right. it's up until six. Right, I, first class at nine. Right. And I'm like. True story happened. Marathon. That's, but I'm like, there's, there's that level of. If you know these instructors are the ones that stay up with your people, which is what you want. If you know these are the, your late night instructors, don't schedule them for the 9 a.m. teach. Well, the other person doesn't want – I don't care. <laughs> don't don't complain. And then that speaks – so if I can just channel this a little bit. But that speaks to your level of – a couple things here speak to your level of professionalism. Number one, if, I f- if I'm having a blast and I want to stay up with everybody till. Three, four, five. I've stayed up till six. I've stayed up till the sun's come up. Me and you have gone to bed. Times, at, right? Yep. But yet, if I have a class at 9 a.m., I am there and ready to do it. Right? Right. But you shouldn't be expected to. Exactly. That's, but, but there's your issue. I know, because I to, yeah, I totally, exactly. But my point is, I do what I need to do to make sure I'm there. Right? I, right. I do what I need to do to make sure that I'm, I'm do what I was hired to do. And I know instructors, I won't name names, who can't get out of bed need someone to call them or help them get up, okay? And I'm like, you're an adult. Or carry them to bed. <laughs> you're an adult. And I'm not saying that, you know, this has nothing to do with liquor being involved because sometimes that happens. But I'm not even using that as a factor. I'm saying you're an adult. If you know you have a class at yep. 10 a.m. and you have to be there, you figure out what you need to do to get there. You don't Slept show up 10 with this, this is I'm going to yep. preach about this because this happened to me at my own event that I host with, with Karen Hedges, Dancing Up a Storm, where one of my instructors... Was ten minutes late to their le- to their class, did not attend the staff meeting, and I will never hire that person again because I felt like the level of professionalism was not there. Same instructor so. slept through their lesson in uh, Vegas. So, yep. so that to it, me, that, but yet they're still getting hired, right? Not by me. <laughs> no, 
But that's that's my point. That was my point earlier when I said the people with the work ethic, because they don't they don't see it, they don't say it. They're just like, oh no, he's not popular, or he doesn't party enough, you know. And I think that's the, and then you, you, that, that's the issue. Then you have people. So I'm going to go there as well. This is controversial, controversial conversations. I'm going to say what comes into my head. Then you have the people who get drunk ass out of their mind who get hired everywhere. And it's consistent. It's regular. It's not like it's a one-time thing. That's happened to me. I got a little extra tipsy at a couple times at events. I actually went into the event director and apologized. You know, I'm sorry I was a little... And they're like, oh, you were, just, you were just like extra crazy. But there are people who have actually been, you know, we both know this, mm-hmm. incapacitated by it. Yeah. And broken things. And, and yet they're constantly hired everywhere. And that, I guess, that bugs me because I feel like, you know, yes, we're all going to have our times when we're human, right? And we did a whole thing about this before where I, we, I sort of ranted about, you know, yep. ex- I think it was the expectations of instructors, right? So we are human. People will make mistakes. But I think when it's consistent, when it happens all the time, that to me, that to me speaks of a certain lack of professionalism because you should know your limits, Right. And if it's an issue that you have constantly, then it's something you need to take care of. I know what my limits are. I know when I start to get, if I am drinking, I know when I'm starting to get a little too much and I either decide to stay up and make a fool of myself in front of everybody or decide to go to bed and take myself out of the visible scene. But I also make sure I show up tomorrow, the next day, on time, ready to go, even though I might not feel the greatest. So... I don't know. There's a lot of factors, and it, it just depends, too. Like, we could go off on a halt. Maybe we'll do that next one. But specifically, not just about line liberties, if you want to call it that, yep. but even just your, like, teachers, like local teachers. Let's say you have teachers that want to, to start. And I talked to – here's the thing. I will be seeing a lot of teachers on Saturday. Local, yes. local instructors. Local instructors. Right. Um, and I don't like going local instructors because some of the local instructors that I've, I've encountered have better ethics and better professionalism than the people that are being hired at big events and conventions I'm just and workshops, I'm just saying. Oh, I'm agreeing. And um, <laughs> that's why I said there's going to be a two-parter. We've hit about an hour now. Already? We have. on, And that's why this, um, we're definitely going to dive, dive into a part two because I really want to dive into the money aspect mm. deep into the money aspect and definitely bring in that, that other side, the whole being a class local instructor compared to someone who travels. So, um, hope you guys enjoyed the first half of this. We're definitely going to be doing the part two, um, probably recording shortly after I hit stop once we, um, have a little quick break. Um, but until then I'm Kelly Cavallero and I'm John Robinson, also known as Mr. Showcase. See ya.